Buckle up. It's showtime. It's time for the green room with Sean Green. Oh, no, with the show. All right, let's do it. All righty then, let's get started. And now for the moment no one's been waiting for. Check this out. Welcome everyone to the green room. We're doing it live here on ShantiGreen.com, sponsored by Amazon. You log on to ShantiGreen.com, click that Amazon link. They are the sponsor, and everything you buy from Amazon with the green room, get a little cut of that. Appreciate that. We're uh, constantly getting a couple. Nickel and Diamond Amazon, and the good thing is you can bookmark that. You don't actually have to go to ShantiGreen.com every time, although I'm sure you're you're going to want to go there, check out the latest episodes of the podcast, as well as I just uh, recorded a 30-minute set when I went back home to Bethlehem, Pennsylvania for Christmas, recorded a 30-minute set. You can get that free of charge, completely free. You just click the Sean Green Live from Steel Stacks button, enter in your email address, and you get the free download. And uh, you guys know how to do free downloads because you listen to the podcast. Our guest today is Tess Barker. Tess, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. All right. (laughs) Good times. times. Off to a rousing start. Yeah. I'm a little self-conscious because our roommate, uh, my roommate, pointed out that last time she was telling a story that when I do the podcast, she or she was walking by, she started eavesdropping to the podcast, which I guess it's not really eavesdropping because we are recording it to put it out there, so it's not like I'm having a private conversation. But she goes, well, I could tell Sean was doing a podcast because he had his podcast voice on. So now I'm really up in my head that whether or not I have a podcast voice. Well, you do have a podcast voice, but I think everyone has an everything voice. You have a phone voice, you have a non-party voice. Everyone talks differently in different situations, and you're not going to talk on the podcast the same way you're going to talk at a football game, right, Sean? Exactly. So. I like how you're trying to pull it back into football mm-hmm. early enough, and I appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Obviously, I want to sound energetic. I'm going to come off as a broadcaster. So, yeah, I'm going to, I guess my normal voice, it's, it's hard to actually listen to something and then decide, wait, is that my normal voice? Do I sound a little different? You know. It, yeah, which one is your normal voice? Like, what, what's the one that we're judging as normal? Right. Conversational. I don't know. I hate my voice. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't hate your voice, but I know what you mean. Everyone seems to hate their own voice. You yeah. get sub- self-conscious about it. You've heard your whole voice your entire life. You get tired of it. Um, although some people, I feel like, are able to tune their own voice out and don't really get sick of their own voice. But that's a bigger problem, isn't it? I think so. I think, yeah, someone not being able to shut the fuck up and, and realize that they're annoying everyone by talking too much. That really is... Uh, you did a uh, stand-up bit tonight where you're comparing how NFL announcers feel compelled to fill time in the same way that someone, when they're on a bad date, they feel compelled to fill time. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think it's uh, it's people not being... There's a quote in Pulp Fiction which says that's how you know two people can really be together is when they can shut the hell up in front of each other. And I think it's a sign of nervous energy or... or I guess not even... It's also a sign of just a low IQ if you feel you need to fill every single second with talking. Yeah, and well, also it is the broadcasting thing of you want to avoid dead air at all costs. So even if something's going on, like like if something's going on in the game, they'll feel maybe compelled to say something. Or I guess it, I think when the game's a blowout, it happens a lot. They feel compelled to just talk about something when it's obvious that the game is a blowout. They want to try and tell some narrative or turn it into some sort of sports talk show and bring up issues that are going on. So they want to try to do something to get you hooked, but. 
yeah, I think uh, it just ends up aggravating more people than helping them. Yeah, no, I agree. It does seem like, I guess when it's, otherwise it would just be a really even sadder and more boring situation if they didn't <laughs> fill it somehow. <laughs> they gotta fit, yeah, they gotta do something. They want to try and, but that's why it ends up, uh, you know, that inevitably is why people end up hating announcers. You wonder, like, some of these guys get really hated and uh, they get a lot of hate mail. And I think it's in those situations where your team's getting blown out and now you have to hear Joe Buck, who gets a lot of hate mail. And, uh, no, what's, who, why does everyone hate Joe Buck? Yeah, why does everyone hate Joe Buck? I've tried to figure it out a few different times. He, one, uh, one time in particular was when Randy Moss scored a touchdown. He fake mooned the crowd in Green Bay. Like he, <laughs> basically he pantomimed the motion of pulling his pants down without actually pulling his pants down. And Joe Buck was just outraged going, this is the most disgraceful thing I've seen in my entire life. And oh my God, this is just in poor taste and blew it way out of proportion. Randy Moss, he uh, he paid the fine, and it was classic because... Wait, he got fined for fake mooning? Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, the, it's weird. The NFL is really strict about a lot of stuff. They're strict about uniforms. Um, somehow, Ray Lewis got fined. It, this this is the NFL in general. Ray Lewis, or Bill Belichick, he got fined half a million dollars, 500000 for Spygate, where they set up cameras to record other teams' practices to use the information... Uh, to beat the teams. Ray Lewis basically was involved in murder. Um, you know, he ended up getting cleared of all charges, got fined 250000 by the league. And, you know, James... For Harry- the murder? Yeah, he got fined 250000 Separately 000. from the civil case. Yeah. The NFL fined him $250,000, essentially for... I don't know, it's weird, because he... I guess they fined him for obstruction of justice, because he was never really... He was never... I think he might have got charged for murder, and it got pled down. But, yeah, he never actually did any time for murder. So, anyway, Joe Buck. Well, we can talk Ray Lewis more, Tess. Um, Joe I mean, Buck, you know me. I'm always down. <laughs> <laughs> Joe Buck, yeah, I mean, stuff like that where Joe Buck, you know, blows up something out of proportion. He also, his dad was an announcer. So, I think there's a lot to the idea that, oh, okay, he's only an announcer because his dad was an announcer. People hate him for that. He does seem to have some biases when it comes to certain teams. Although they'll claim, you know, oh, I get hate mail from both sides. But I think that's just because Joe Buck comes off as uh, unlikable. But if you're enough of a football aficionado to become a professional announcer, wouldn't you think it'd be sort of impossible for you not to have some kind of a bias towards certain teams? I think so, yeah. I, I don't know. How could you how could you watch these games? Yeah, that's a great point because how can you watch these games, really be passionate about it, and just have no opinion whatsoever on who wins or loses? Part of... Yeah, having an opinion on the game is having an idea of who wins or loses. I guess their thing is, hey, I'm getting paid a shitload of money, so it kind of takes that aspect out of it, rooting out of it, because either way they're going to, you know, the classic line of why coaches stay in the booth instead of going back to coaching is you win every week. You know, the idea is you can't really, unless, you know, you say something totally crazy or whatever, uh, you know, for the most part, you're going to be there next week. But doesn't that take – I would imagine some of the thrill of coaching would be whether you won or not. That seems like a totally different, I guess, it, sort of high. Yeah, I mean, that's. I think that's why most of the guys do go back is the adrenaline rush. You know, you don't want to have to sit there, hang out with Mike Tirico all day, just sitting on the Madden bus, sitting there killing time. So, yeah, they get interested in going back and playing football. Joe Buck, though, there's a uh, – I've probably talked about this before, but there's a Joe Buck Sucks Facebook page 
where people get together. They hate on Joe Buck. It's a pretty funny Facebook page just because their their profile is just a giant picture of Joe Buck with a big red circle and a line through his face. And uh, I'll never forget when the Sandy Hook thing happened. I remember the Joe Buck Sucks Facebook page going, hey, guys, uh, you know, thoughts and prayers. And that's when I realized something serious had happened. When the <laughs> Joe Buck Sucks Facebook page was going, no, guys, no, you know, we can deal with Joe Buck on Sunday. And the comments were great because people were like, uh, I still fucking hate Joe Buck, but this is a time to think of the kids. Like they, were, they were processing the Sandy Hook, you know, horrific events and also still crowbarring into Joe Buck hating well, and that means that they're checking in, because I have a few random Facebook pages that I'm a member of or like or whatever, but I check in with very few of them. That means they're checking into the I Hate Joe Buck page every day. Yeah, which is weird, because really, you know, I I don't know, I'm, I guess I'm guilty of it, but there's it's not like there's any new Joe Buck news. It's just like, oh, what, what game is Joe Buck doing this week? Oh, Joe Buck sucks. And then they promote their beer koozies that say Joe Buck sucks on it. So, but it's, yeah. I think everyone needs someone. I think it really bonds people <laughs> together to hate someone together. Yeah, no, I know, but it was just so funny. Like, they, it, yeah, they were just like the the Joe Buck talk and wait. Our little community needs the more. And there's a post <laughs> like that. Uh, yeah, I guess it's just openly hating Joe Buck still and processing the Sandy Hook disaster and still feeling the need to post on Facebook about it. Classic. <laughs> um, speaking of sports, Lance Armstrong is going to go on the Oprah Winfrey show and admit to taking performance-enhancing drugs, particularly steroids, I'm assuming. I don't know. This whole story is just – this is what pisses me off is that we've we've been sucked into caring about cycling for all these years. Everyone knew Lance Armstrong had done steroids. Everyone knew this was going on for so long and – it's like it's one thing for you to get some credit on coming clean when you first get caught, but he's just been denying it and denying it for so long um, that yeah, it doesn't. I don't know. It doesn't really mean anything. Like what? What's the point of it now? It doesn't make sense to me that he would do it now. I guess he's he wants to try and salvage Livestrong and feels like maybe this. I don't know. He doesn't want that to be associated with Livestrong. It's unclear really what this is going to accomplish. Well, yeah, I would say, God, I mean, I guess, and to appear on Oprah, that's like having a cut and then willingly pouring salt all over it. I mean, you know Oprah's not going to be easy on him. Well, that's, what, I don't know. I think Oprah would be a little bit easier than maybe, like, a Bob Costas or something. I think no. Oprah... Do you remember when Oprah, that James Fry guy, when he admitted to, to not writing a nonfiction book, that it was actually fictional? That is Bitch true. Tore but I, him I think, apart. Well, but I think that was because he humiliated Oprah because he came on her show. Oprah found him. I mean, if Oprah had found Lance Armstrong, it was like he's a prodigy. Although maybe she did feel manipulated. I don't know if he came on there before to promote Livestrong or whatever. Maybe I wouldn't be surprised if he had. Yeah, but I, I don't. I think Oprah. I think going with Oprah in this case, I, I don't know. I think he wants to appear sympathetic. I, I mean, what? Obviously, he wants to appear sympathetic, so he's going to find someone that he feels like is going to give him the best interview because he's setting up the interview. Obviously, anyone would take this interview. He's not going to go out and try and find someone who's really going to bust his balls. I have to beg to differ. I'm either either that is his intention and you're right and he's just not reading the situation correctly or he's just trying to be punished as much as possible because an Oprah interview – 
is really unapologetic. I mean, she ripped Rihanna apart. Oprah will tear a bitch apart. That's what Oprah loves to do. Yeah, but then I think, like, I feel it's one of these things that maybe maybe she'll be tough on him, but overall the appearance, she has a way of humanizing these people. It's not like when Rihanna, when she tore Rihanna apart or was tough on Rihanna, I feel like at the end of... at the end of an Oprah interview, I feel like people are more sympathetic to the person's cause. Maybe so, because she makes you cry. Right. Maybe maybe Lance Armstrong's <laughs> looking to cry. Maybe he's no, but that's just... I feel like maybe he's going for the worst thing just because he wants to like have that really cathartic experience of going all the way. No, I don't think he's looking for cathartic. I think he's looking to try and get back into cycling. And he's, like, really? banned from all these things. Yeah, supposedly he wants to resume his career or, or do something, you know, basically try and get back into cycling. And I think he's worried about the damage that's done to Livestrong. I I don't know. I don't think he – he doesn't feel guilty at it, uh, about it at all. I don't think so. I mean, if he felt any sort of guilt, he would have come clean years ago. I have to disagree with you on that one, too. I think people do a lot of things in that situation, and it becomes a slippery slope. Or maybe you feel guilty about it, but you've got – at certain points, so much reputation and so much money staked on this thing that even if it is built on something false, it becomes harder and harder to come clean about it, I think. Yeah, I just, I'm going off the idea that if he felt guilty about it, he wouldn't of like, part of what he did that was so awful, I mean, besides himself taking drugs, is that he was also very, basically, if you were on the cycling team, if you wanted to roll with Lance Armstrong, you also had to take performance-enhancing drugs, and it was kind of a thing of, you either took steroids or you were off the team, so he you know, did a lot of like shady tactics, intimidating people, intimidating other riders. One of the riders came from like a family of drug addicts. He didn't want to do steroids. He got in cycling basically to get away from drugs, and Lance Armstrong was like, hey, I'm the captain. If you don't take uh, steroids or these you know, performance-enhancing drugs, you're not going to be on the team. And he basically created this whole – I don't know. There was just seems like there was a lot of aspects of it that was were just completely cold-blooded in the sense of like not that he was doing was anything, you know, like murder or anything like that, but he was just – so cold-blooded about the steroid taking and just lacked any remorse for such a long period of time that, I don't know, he doesn't feel like he learned his lesson or anything. Yeah, you're probably right. He didn't learn his lesson, but he, I mean, again, he just became such a superstar and such a superhero, and Liv Strong just became such a big pop culture sensation that I I would be willing to wager that a lot of the fact that he didn't come clean earlier had to do with, with the sort of liability of that. Yeah, I think some of that, and you know, I'm sure that's his thing is going to be like, well, I was doing all this good work for for uh, research and, and cancer research. I didn't want to come clean, and then that would ruin that. But I, I think there's a two separate things. Like what he did for cancer research and promoting that cause was great, but also I think he took steroids not necessarily out of this like altruistic idea of like, hey, I'm going to take steroids and I'm going to win all these races and I'm going to. No, he took steroids because he wanted to win these races. He was uh, super competitive. He didn't like the idea of losing, so he took a shitload of steroids. So I I, I 
Yeah, I think most people that achieve greatness in any field have some dirt under their fingernails. I think super competitive people, and again, I think it becomes a slippery slope. When you want something really bad and you're really determined to become the top of whatever, you make a series of small decisions that become one big decision. I mean, anyone in any position of power has fucked over someone or done a drug or intimidated someone or betrayed a friend or done something that is maybe not... Good people, besides like nuns, good people don't get famous. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Real downer test. Bumming everyone out. The idea that you can only be successful if you're a cold-hearted son of a bitch. It's true, though. Well, but then, all right, okay. Where do you draw the line? Okay, so, hey, all right, I'm a professional football player. Start paying off some referees. Hey, everyone's, hey, it's a competitive, like, where do you... If steroids isn't cheating, what is? Like, if you don't draw the line at performance-enhancing drugs is cheating, then what's the point of sport? If you can't have a fair game, or at least the concept of a fair game, what what's the point of even having sports if everyone's going to be cheating constantly all the time? Everyone is cheating constantly all the time. That's my point. Yeah, but I don't... <laughs> the concept, I think, is there. But I think, I guess I just have, I guess... I don't know, just being in L.A. and just my experience of people in general is that most people are kind of shady, particularly people that are in a position of power. Well, that's just disheartening. <laughs> I really trusted people of power. Um, now, our mayor, Mayor Viragosa, mm-hmm. was seen, was spotted with a known substance abuser and super successful person I in and of himself. Him. Charlie, Mayor Viragosa or Charlie Sheen? Now I like Mayor Viragosa because he was <laughs> hanging he was out with Charlie spotted Sheen. Spotted with Charlie Sheen. Yeah. Uh, Mayor Viragosa was seen, spotted with Charlie Sheen. They were hanging out down in a, some sort of spring break destination. He claims it was great because Mayor Viragosa, the L.A. mayor, goes, oh, no, uh, we just took a picture together. I take pictures with plenty of people every day. It's part of the job of being mayor. you got to take a picture with whoever. And then Charlie Sheen goes, oh, no, we were partying pretty hard. That guy can party <laughs> with the best of them. So he totally threw Viragosa under the bus. Now, as a uh, person living in L.A., does that, how, does that piss you off? <laughs> Not at all. Nothing about that pisses me off. First of all, I've always really liked Charlie Sheen. I continue to like Charlie Sheen. I miss his presence in pop culture. I think – I remember you had that really great joke about Charlie Sheen that I really liked. Yeah. Where it was uh, basically ranting about how, you know – He's actually living life, and uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I really like his attitude. He's, you know, he's famous, and he has addiction issues, and he's making the most of it. He surprisingly does Charlie Sheen. It, you want to talk about guys who run the complete spectrum? He does seem like he does a lot of things that are kind of a good guy thing. Like he gave Lindsay Lohan six figures to help set her up or sell up her tax bill. He gave all this money to, like, kids with cancer. Um, he does a lot of, like, kind of charitable stuff randomly. He just buys uh, houses for prostitutes and porn stars. I mean, granted, he has some self-interest in that, but I still sure. feel like that's pretty nice to give someone a house, uh, regardless of whether you're having sex with them or not. It's still getting a free house, and it's a nice free house, and uh, I don't know. It's, it feels like a fair trade-off. You get to have sex with Charlie Sheen, and you get a free house. That guy sounds pretty generous. Exactly. But then you also hear stories where... But I also respect the fact, because I would say you could probably argue that Charlie Sheen is just as corrupt as Lance Armstrong, but he owns it. Yes. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I don't know. I guess 
did cocaine and being a maniac help Charlie Sheen succeed on Two and a Half Men? Maybe. I, I don't know. Yeah. I, I couldn't tell you what made that show successful. But for all like the good, cool stuff Charlie Sheen does, then there's also this kind of super dark side to him where – uh, he shot his one girlfriend, uh, and you know it, it came out that it was supposedly an accident, but there was like a lot of other circumstantial evidence against that. Uh, he was also spent time in jail, or he he had a, he spent a night in jail because him and his uh, previous wife Brooke Mueller got in an argument and supposedly roughed her up and like held a knife to her. So I don't know. There's like I, mean, I want to like him. I want to. I like the public persona guy who's. You know, spending hundreds of thousands of dollars on wacky baseball memorabilia and partying it up. I like that guy. But then, yeah, the holding a knife to uh, his ex-wife, obviously that's – I'm not an advocate of violence against women. No, obviously neither am I. (laughs) I know you're a huge advocate for violence against women, Des. (laughs) Um, But no, you're right. I like the – I like the fun Charlie Sheen. Just like I like the fun version of any of my fucked up friends. Yeah, I mean, exactly. clearly Charlie Sheen has, you know, manic depression issues and addiction issues and with that are peaks and valleys. But when he's in a manic phase, he's a good time. I was reading about Charlie Sheen and the whole wielding the knife up against his uh, ex-girlfriend's or ex-wife's throat. And it started <laughs> – the article was one of the funniest article headlines uh, ever. And it was a uh, Charlie Sheen in domestic violence battle uh, starting from the song – the song by Train drops over Jupiter. I guess their whole argument started over. Wait, how does that song go? Um, that she's there in the atmosphere. That's your regular voice, by the way. Oh, okay, that's, <laughs> that's how I normally sound. Yeah. Wait, do you know the song? Guess she's back in the da da da. That one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so what was the argument? The argument was, I think that. He had that song he shared with his younger daughter, but that him and Brooke Mueller didn't have a song together. And then I think he told her to shut up and then she went crazy. And I don't know, whatever it was started from that song, the argument that ended up in uh, both them being involved. Well, she checked into rehab right after. So maybe she was going crazy, coked out of her mind. This doesn't sound like it was really about the train song. (laughs) (laughs) No, I doubt it was specifically over the train song. There probably was some other factors. I mean, yeah, I don't want to play armchair psychiatrist with Charlie Sheen, although as fun as that sounds. Um, yeah, the idea. Yeah, you're right. It wasn't about <laughs> I mean, I think that's how. I doubt, you know, I think most arguments between sane people start with small things and definitely between two insane people start with, yeah, exactly. a, with something pretty small. Did you watch the Golden Globes test? I did watch them. What was your take on it? Um, you know, I'm not a huge award show person, but I guess for an award, I like Tina Fey and Amy Poehler a lot, so it was fun watching them do their thing. They were really funny. Um, the big sort of thing, of course, was Jodie Foster kind of coming out as a lesbian, which I guess is similar to the Lance Armstrong <laughs> confession. Um, yeah, so, all right. Now, I watched that. Granted, it was in a bar, and it was just the closed captions. I was getting a little bit of the sound. But what was up with that? She was she was kind of mad at the industry, but then kept mentioning that she's been working for 47 years and that she isn't going to be a honey boo-boo. 
Who is trying to pitch Jodie Foster as a reality show? And also, exactly. how fucking insecure are you if you're Jodie Foster and you go, oh, well, Honey Boo Boo gets all the attention? I'm sorry. I'm not, I don't think she was saying Honey Boo Boo gets all the attention. It was almost worse because she was saying, you can't turn me into Honey Boo Boo. <laughs> it's like, no shit. Honey Boo Boo hasn't been nominated for multiple Academy Awards and Honey Boo Boo isn't receiving a Lifetime Achievement <laughs> Award right now. No one is trying to exploit you, Jodie Foster. It is. It is funny how people feel like, uh, especially actors, and Honey Boo Boo has turned into this punching bag in our culture. I know! <laughs> I mean, <laughs> why? Can't, I feel like the least we can do is say Honey Boo Boo's mom. If you want to turn anyone in this whole story into yeah. a punching bag, Honey Boo Boo's mom or us, the culture, for buying into that. But everyone's like, yeah, I'm not going to be the next Honey Boo Boo. This is just an adorable, fat child. Not only is she fat, she's precocious as hell. She's really funny. She didn't, yes. I'm sorry. You don't become a pop culture sensation by being boring. She's an interesting figure, and I agree. Maybe Honey Boo Boo's mom is too many syllables. We don't want to drop that. But yeah, it's yeah, it's the mom's fault for putting her in this situation. But uh, at the end of the day, I, yeah, big deal. She's on a reality show. She was already in pageants. Once you put your kid in pageants, you can't fuck them up more than that, really. I mean, once you put your five-year-old in something and make them compete against other little girls over how pretty they are and make them wear makeup and fake Okay, teeth. now I understand child acting to a degree. <laughs> yeah. Okay, hey, there's a lot of money. Hey, you might you might be Leonardo DiCaprio and end up becoming this great film star down the line. What is the best case as a child pageant? Like I don't what's the end game? Where where's the success stories of Wow, I owe you know, I'm a Fortune five hundred executive and I owe it all for my time spent in child pageanting. Like No, I, yeah. I feel like if you're gonna be a model or even like kid modeling or whatever like do you I, I don't know. What's the success story? What's the end game of pageantry? The way they pitch it is that you can get um as you get older I guess you can get scholarships and stuff like that when you're a teenager. <laughs> who what scholarship? <laughs> for a guy who got <laughs> You know, this is the this is the plight of our country. I got straight A's in high school, but you know, being a white male who wasn't in child pageants, I didn't get any scholarship out. Well, you just didn't apply for the white male who wasn't in child pageant scholarship, Sean. I should have. I tried to find it. It wasn't there. <laughs> Apparently, you have to be good at sports if you're a white male, and you're going to get a scholarship yeah. in America. <laughs> so yeah, I got totally jobbed over. No, there's is there any pa- <laughs> who is awarding. Who is awarding uh, scholarships to beauty pageant contestants? That's the insane part. No, I think it's an antiquated thing. I think it hap- It started happening, I, th- I guess, in the 50s or whatever, when that really was all girls could really do was put on a cute dress <laughs> and a bathing suit and call it a night. The and good I- old days. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and so maybe it com- kind of comes from that. Like maybe, you know, back in the day when women didn't really play sports or where there wasn't as much emphasis on academics for women, maybe it started there and it just became this cultural thing. Um, it's clearly a really unhealthy situation and just a horrible thing to do to your kid. That said, you know, I was a child actor and sometimes when I watch Toddlers and Tiaras, it kind of disturbs me a little bit because it reminds me a lot of being a child actor. Now, what were some horror stories of you being a child actress? Um... I just had a lot of friends. It was mostly like my friends' moms were really uh, pushy and really mean to my friends. And uh, 
I remember I had this one friend whose mom would like always come to auditions in this was back in like the late 80s early 90s but when those thong leotards were really popular okay uh and she would just come to i mean i remember being like eight or nine years old and just being like oh my god that's so embarrassing that tanya's mom dresses like a slut <laughs> and, uh, so at eight or nine you were already able to pick out a slut oh yeah um and i mean i guess more so just the pressure i mean Definitely as an actor, you get, but just the, being that young and having that much pressure on you and facing rejection like that when you're that young on like a regular basis, it's. I don't think it's normal for kids to go through that. Yeah, it is weird because I think what you're describing, some of that though is good. I, I feel like I got a lot of the, the good aspects of that from playing youth sports, like determination. Hey, yeah, you do get rejected a lot, but you get back up. You keep fighting. Yeah. You have parents that are yelling at you. There's a lot of pressure. I don't know. There's there's some aspects of it, but yeah, I guess I can't put my finger on the weirdness of – it's almost it's, like – It's because sports – children's sports are meant for children. Like when you're a child actor, you're in an adult's profession. Being They don't treat child actors any different than adult actors. Like you, you face the same kind of rejection – on a really big scale because there's money at stake. It's what you want is like such a big thing. Um, and it's a lot of it's about your appearance and nobody's shy about telling you that. It's a lot of like really adult issues to be dealing with when you're, you know, five, six years old. Yeah. So you think it, it served you well being a child actress? Uh, I mean, I don't know any different. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I'm awesome. <laughs> Well, Jodie Foster, you think, she, if anything, she would sympathize with Honey Boo Boo because exactly. Jodie Foster was in the business at age three on. So you think she would – I don't just I just love the idea of you're not going to turn me into Honey Boo Boo and what happened to privacy. And it's I haven't seen a woe is me type speech like that since Michael Jordan went into the Hall of Fame. And Michael Jordan, most successful professional athlete of all time. Went up on stage and just – it was bizarre. Like he just brought up all these old grudges. He brought up the – he brought up like his high school coach by name who cut him and uh, the guys he beat out freshman year in high school basketball. Like he just had a list of grudges of people who he felt did him wrong and he was not satisfied. But Jodie Foster, did she come out as a lesbian? It's basically she just made this announcement of – Hey, I know everyone thinks I'm a lesbian, and yes, I am a lesbian, but I'm not going to say I'm a lesbian because that's what you want me to do. That was, was very... I guess, her MO, yeah. So it was. It started to be, I thought it was going to be, a, you know, okay, everyone knows I'm a lesbian, but in this time when gay marriage is this big thing, I'm going to come out and officially say, and they even panned to Jane Lynch, who is, you know, an open lesbian. Um, what? Yeah. <laughs> Jane Spoiler Lynch. alert. Um, and Jane Lynch looked disappointed as, as as all hell because, like, she just didn't – she didn't take a stand about anything other than her own self-righteousness, really. That was, like – How bizarre that – you think, like, okay, hey, I'm, I'm liberal. I'm assuming she's liberal. What? She's in Hollywood. <laughs> she's a lesbian. Why is she best friends with uh, Mel, Mel Gibson? Gibson? Thank you. That was the other thing I just – Okay. What an unlikely friendship. And it's unfortunate that she won't do a reality show because what I would give to spend a half an hour every week <laughs> with Mel Gibson and Jodie Foster just having cocktails. Do you think he calls her sugar tits? I, I mean, what do they have in common? Like a love of hot chicks? Like what really do they share? I guess, well, she directed a movie he was in. 
Okay. Yeah. But <laughs> no, okay, but yeah. The guy who said all these awful things, like a the Jews, so you know, basically came out as a pseudo white supremacist. You don't think he, you don't really picture Mel Gibson as also being pals with a ton of homosexuals. I don't know. No, I know a ton of Ivy League educated <laughs> <laughs> homosexuals. Um, I guess, but I guess you know. Apparently, Jodie Foster feels she's been alienated by Hollywood. Which, that's, have you which, ever... And who better to pair up with than Mel Gibson? <laughs> now, this is like the ultimate buddy cop movie. Exactly. Mel Gibson and Jodie Foster on a mission from God to take back Hollywood. <laughs> maybe that is it, though. Maybe they just both got cast away to, like, the kids' table in Hollywood. And they were like, fuck it, let's have a drink. They and were poor, getting... poor Jodie Foster. I don't remember her any... Any sort of, I mean, what what happened to Jodie Foster? She got slightly older. Like what? I just don't understand these grudges. Like you're getting the Lifetime Achievement Award. What? What? Hollywood has not kissed your ass enough. I guess who? What does she? Who I don't does think she think she's getting job by. Like what she, roles is she missing out on? That I don't think that it was about her missing out on roles. I think she's intentionally not been acting. She's trying to transition into directing, and I, I do respect Jodie Foster's body of work. She's done a lot of really great movies but um i think it was more like the reason you haven't seen me is because god forbid i have any private and i think in jodie foster's head everyone wakes up every morning wondering if jodie foster is a lesbian (laughs) when really what happened was we were all like oh yeah jodie foster exists much less do we give a shit if she's a lesbian yes exactly yeah i mean the whole thing was she was complaining about being in the tabloids meanwhile that speech there was the only thing that's probably gotten her into the exactly. in the past five years. Exactly. And, you know, I've, I've ran into a couple homophobes uh, in the middle of the country or on other different – I know a few homophobes. And trust me, like the, the, general, I, the general thought out there in the homophobe community is that the majority of actors in Hollywood are probably – you know, gay or homosexual. So I don't think. I mean, I think that's a position you <laughs> take, isn't it? Right. Exactly. <laughs> hey, you're gay until proven otherwise in Hollywood. That's totally fine, and uh, you know, you're to be respected and called a hero for that sort of behavior. I don't know. Like, I thought <laughs> I'm just tired of talking about. I-, I thought the whole Ellen thing. It would be like, okay, hey, cool. It's cool to be gay now, but we have to have this same conversation every time. Someone, I don't know, I guess it's a weird thing. And then everyone who is gay, then gay people feel like they have to out other gay people so that everyone knows about gay stuff. Well, I guess it's like the same thing. I guess if you're like, oh, we're all going to streak through the football field and then you're the only one naked, you want everyone else to get naked with you. (laughs) Well, yeah, literally. (laughs) I don't know. And I just, I don't know, especially too, I feel like for women, it's a little bit easier to come out, right? I think most homophobes are men. If I'm to generalize. <laughs> and most men have well, less... Well, you're very stereotypical. <laughs> huh? You're no better than the homophobes, Tess. Oh, and... So you just assume that guys... Wow, I didn't realize you were such a sexist. Just assuming the majority of homophobes are... What? You, you're saying... Now, I'll play every other person. What? You're saying that guys are better in sports. You, you're saying that there's no girls out there who are better sports. Than... No, I'm just saying the majority of guys, because the way their bodies are, are probably better at a lot of sports okay so you're saying you could beat any girl in basketball no i personally couldn't yeah it's easier to work in broad generalizations absolutely so i think most homophobic people are men especially most violently homophobic people and most men have (laughs) are much less threatened by a lesbian than they are by a gay guy 
And so I think it's a lot um, less of a big deal. Like, I feel like you're going to alienate even less people if you're a girl gay person. So just who cares? And like Ellen, I feel like it was like in the newspaper for a little bit and she's still embraced by middle America. So. Oh, yeah. Ellen, when she came out as a lesbian, that was the last year I heard of her. No, her gayness. We all got over her gayness. If Jodie Foster had just been like, yeah, I'm gay. Anyway, thanks to the Academy, it maybe would have been a blurb in a newspaper. And she's, she, you're right. She's ironically created this media, you know, spin out. And the, the Ellen thing, it was 20 years ago. And I feel like people were like, yeah, okay, we're fine with that. I, I don't know. Like, I don't remember hearing any outrage about, oh, my God, Ellen's ruining America. Yeah. I mean, I mean her show got canceled, but. Yeah, yeah, but that was probably because of poor ratings. Uh, you could yeah, that was pretty well rated before that. But you could have people burning cross. Uh, I mean, uh, Ellen landed on her feet. I don't yeah, think absolutely. I don't think her being open about her sexuality has no. hurt her career. If anything, it's made her quasi more interesting. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I think again to generalize, America's like kind of fine with lesbians. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> and in America's defense, I I think we've come pretty. Uh, you know, compared to a lot of countries, I think we're pretty progressive when it comes to gay rights. Yeah, well, compared to like where I was in the Middle East, exactly. Where, yeah. So I'm, you went, you went to a trip to the Middle East. Yep. What was that like? It was weird. It was, um, I don't know. There was. It, it's a really interesting day. I guess I was expecting it to be a little bit more like culturally rich than it was. Um, it was really. Yeah. It was. There was just like it, you know all. Most of the world's money is in oil, and most of the world's oil money is in the Middle East. So it was sort of just like an astounding amount of money in one fairly small geographical area, which was, I guess, interesting in and of itself. But it wasn't like when you go to Europe and you're like, oh, this church has been around for like, you know, 1,500 years. It was just like, okay, this has been around since five years ago, and that's cool. You can ski inside here. And um, But the religious sort of situation there – so you have sort of like all this money, but then – it's a hyper-religious area, so, like, women have, like, none of the women who live there are showing their faces. Like, everyone's wearing, uh, what's it called? Burkas? Oh, an abaya. It's called abaya. an abaya. Yeah, but you're thinking of a burqa. Yeah. Um, and you can't, you know, couples can't hold hands in public there. You can get arrested Sweet. for, <laughs> you can get arrested for being gay. Sweet. I was no. Gonna, yeah. No, you were almost going with... to. No. <laughs> I think you can be gay. That's that's great. Um, gay people are heroes. <laughs> I don't know how this became okay, uh, but yeah. So it's you know that it was really it just made me appreciate even more America. Like yeah, it's pretty awesome. Yeah, as much as of course there's still you know gender inequity and homophobia and stuff here, you're not gonna you know be and also according to their law, like uh, a woman is only worth half of a person. So if if someone witnesses a crime, it takes two women to count as one witness for it. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So they're old fashioned. I like that. It is funny <laughs> though. I feel like <laughs> that's what I don't understand about uh, people who are super politically left wing is that they're such they're so in favor of um, you know women's rights, gender equality, all, all that kind of stuff. But then they also defend the Muslim culture so much, like, oh well, they're just all you know. Hey, they're just attacking us because uh, we invaded them, or uh, you know, they they 
they're more inclined to like defend Afghanistan or Iraq. Like, hey, these are good people, blah blah blah. Yeah, and we're we're just over there unnecessarily. And maybe there's some of that in the war sense, but I feel like the same people that are arguing for human rights, gender equality, um, you know, not having homophobia present, are the same people that defend these Muslims who are very strict religiously. They'll say, well, that's just their culture. That's no, just yeah. their culture. The, just to generalize, yeah, I think there are, again, <laughs> um, but there are a lot of people on uh, on the far left that do have that position, and, and it's like, I don't understand why just because something... Why can't we say super religious Muslims... Uh, suck. They yes, suck. Yes, exactly. I'm sorry. And, and you know what? As a woman, they don't respect me. I don't respect them. Why should I have to... Why doesn't it... Why shouldn't it be reciprocal? I, I respect them about as much as they respect me. Right. So, fuck off. So, 50%. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Now, would you allow them to drive a car? No. <laughs> oh, yeah. Women can't drive cars there either. Well, they can't drive cars over here either, if you know what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even going to. I could. I mean, legally, they're yeah. allowed to drive Who cars. wasn't legally allowed to drive a car? <laughs> well, okay. Yeah, sure. Guy gets a DUI, he never hears the end of it, but. No, I'm sorry. Saying you open that can of worms. <laughs> women here can't drive. At least the Muslims are. Progressive enough hey, to we're realize. just gonna. I'm gonna give you the light on that. <laughs> what? You're my girlfriend. You think you can light me on my own podcast? I'm the host. All right. I'm your girlfriend. I know I can light you on your own podcast. <laughs> I did. Uh, I didn't do the joke around you, but I was saying. Um, I said that is the benefit of dating someone in comedy is that when you host the show, you have the unique ability to give your girlfriend the light. So. Oh, you didn't. <laughs> when did you do that joke? I don't know. It is uncomfortable. Well, obviously we're dating if you're not aware of that in the podcast. But, um, yeah, it is sometimes you want to do, you know, sometimes I'm speaking about my hypothetical girlfriend and it is weird doing a show. Or, you know, some of it, you know how sometimes when you're doing um, a comedy show or whatever, you exaggerate certain things or yeah, portray the story in a certain light that makes you look better, whatever. Yeah. You serve the joke. Uh, I don't really make up anything whole cloth, but, you know, you, like, tweak things or whatever, and it's uncomfortable when the other person's in the room because then they're like, no, well, I was there. I know how that went down. That was that was not exactly true. No, I know. I feel that way, too. <laughs> but, or also just things that I, pro- like, things that I probably wouldn't say in front of you in normal conversation that I say in front of you when we're both on the same show. Exactly. It enters my mind. Well, then also, if we're at a show and people know that we're dating, then it's weird because it's like, wait, are they, because then you have to get in your own head, like, are they laughing at this actual premise and the act out and this, or are they just laughing because I mentioned my girlfriend and she's in the room. Exactly. Also another comedian. Yeah. Which a lot of times it's probably a little bit of both. And then you have to sort through like, okay, what part of that was actually. If if none of these people knew us or knew me, how much does that work? Yes. Yeah. Well, and it also, I mean, you know, I don't really care what you say about me on stage. Right. I talk a ton of shit about you on yeah, stage. Yeah, and I'm down with it. <laughs> no, but I mean, you Because you're half of a person. <laughs> exactly. I'm a hardcore Muslim. So you have to have, like, two gnarly sets for it to really matter. But, um, no, I don't, you know, I think we're both sort of the type of comedians that don't want to censor ourselves, and I respect that, and I probably wouldn't really ever get mad at you for anything you said. I'm serious. You can say whatever you want about me on stage. <laughs> Now, see, you're saying that, but there would be a 
I'm sure there's something that would piss you off if I said on stage. I think there's a lot of things you would say that would piss me off on stage, but whether I would actually feel justified <laughs> in saying anything to you about it, it would take a lot. Like there's a lot of stuff. You're like, oh, yeah, the majority of your act. No, no. I mean, but yeah, I think it's important that you can say whatever you want about me. Thanks. You're welcome. <laughs> what I'm here to do, pass you on the podcast. <laughs> well, speaking of us dating, we saw a feature and movies tied all together. We saw a movie few months back, was uh, pretty forgettable, I would say, for the most part. Movie Lawless. Oh, yeah. Well, forgettable for most people. Yes. Now, the movie-going experience we had was unforgettable. <laughs> now, all right, so a quick recap of who was in Lawless, what was the movie about? Uh, oh, God. It was um, Guy Jude Pierce, Jude Law. I just I said know. Jude Law. I don't know if that's right. I'm disagreeing with you. I don't know if that's right either. But anyway. It was a bunch of white guys with guns. Yeah, it's about the 1800s. It's about moonshining, which sounds like a cool movie. Yeah, I like westerns, but it was... It was just kind of weird, meandering, emotionally confusing. Like, you didn't know who to root for. Like, these bands of brothers were kind of bad dudes at times. But then, I don't know. It was a, it was a weird movie. And so we're sitting there, hanging out, um... It's like a Friday night, you know, sitting next to each other, obviously. And um, this woman, like, you know, kind of just, like, brushes up against me as she passes by. And I'm like, oh, man, that's dark. She probably didn't see me, whatever, sits down, start watching the movie. And the way they wrote the dialogue, there's a lot of, like, dramatic pauses. Yeah. And, like, sort of, I wouldn't call them jokes, but witty comments. Yeah. Or or trying to be witty. It's a little bit, yeah. And they're just, like... You know, you're like the, uh, they'll just be like weird little lines where you just be like, I said, boy, I don't want you in this town. And someone had just said town or something about a boy. Yeah, exactly. And so it's a little like, a little smarmy. And this woman next to us starts laughing. And they're laughing. And, and they, she would laugh, you know, after one of those witty comments or when there was a couple seconds of a dramatic pause. So it almost made sense. Well, yeah. Early on, I was thinking, okay, this woman's just laughing. And then I realized she was laughing a little bit too hard. And my first thing was like, okay, we're in Los Feliz. This is hipster capital of the world. She's probably just – she's probably laughing ironically because right. some of the dialogue was just a little on the nose. And yeah. And like a little – Borderline cheesy. Notice it wasn't nominated for a Golden Globe. Yeah, exactly. It wasn't like a great script. So I was like, oh, okay. She is, you know, one of these super egghead types who, like, thinks they're better than everyone. And she is, you know, she's just laughing at the script itself. And then, I don't know when it hits me, but she starts laughing really hard. And I turn and look at her and I was like, oh my god, this woman's retarded. (laughs) First (laughs) off, well, she was seeing the movie by herself, which should have been uh, kind of a red flag. Wait a minute, I see movies by myself all the time. (laughs) Right. Wearing my big backpack. You laugh like a retard. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Now you're going to be self-conscious and laugh off mic. Uh, No, so we realized she was a retard. And then we start laughing. And then it's like... Back and forth, like, she laughs, and then we laugh, because, oh my god, this is hilarious, she's retarded. And it just becomes this cycle, where we couldn't, it, I think all of us, the three of us, lost sight of who was laughing at who. <laughs> it was just... Well, and it's like the same way when you start laughing, and, and then a baby starts laughing, because yeah. they hear laughter, like, it's instinctive. So, yeah. we're going back and forth with this laughing and stuff, and then, fi- it's like 30 minutes of the movie, I've 
go to test them, like, all right, this is, we got to leave. This is driving me crazy. <laughs> like, I want to try and enjoy this movie. So we go, we were in, like, the dead center. So we go all the way over to the left, find some new seats, try to, you know, keep enjoying the movie. And as the movie's going on, like, we're getting in the third act. And, and the middle for us was pretty, you know, chill. Like, we didn't hear her... Yeah, it was just like a normal, you know, normal movie experience. And then, yeah, as we're getting in the third act, it's getting more dramatic, more serious, more laughing, more laughing. But this time, it's not just from the retard. It's starting to be like a smattering of people. She slowly starts turning this crowd. Like people were <laughs> next to her. They they basically took over our spot of laughing at her, but they weren't sitting close enough to her to realize she was retarded. Right. So it slowly started to grow and. Like, the final scene, like, the last ten minutes where, you know, there was, like, shootout and people were dying. It was gut-busting laughter from the entire movie. Knee slappers throughout. (laughs) (laughs) I'd never seen that in my entire life. She literally changed the tone of the film. She literally changed the genre from a comedy, or from a drama to a comedy single-handedly. And it was it was something to behold. And then she just stomped out of that movie theater, beaming ear to ear. Mm-hmm. And we were just looking at each other and we're like, we need to get her for a comedy show. Because yeah. that woman, that was amazing. It was an amazing performance. She had the time of her night. And we actually got to enjoy the movie. Because I feel like I really wouldn't have remembered any of it or really had any sort of enjoyment at it. No, it I wasn't think for that. we're all grateful that she was there. <laughs> yeah, everyone. I mean, even the people, yeah. <laughs> and But that was the other thing. Like, in my head now, I'm wondering, these other people, like, they didn't really ever seem to know. And then that's a weird thing to bring up in, like, the lobby outside. Like, sure. hey, guys, pretty funny movie, all because of that retard, right? No, like, we were definitely the only people who knew it was a retard. Definitely. <laughs> but I think, like you said, it is that sort of instinctive thing. That's why I, I like, you know, friends who have a distinctive laugh when they come to my shows. Because I think there is a sort of, like, gut reaction to hearing, like, infectious laughter. Well, yeah. I mean, it, yeah, it's almost like the fundamentals of a comedy show. You have to have the tight people packed in together. Yeah. Because if it's all spread out, like, the reason a comedy show doesn't work in a gymnasium is because... If you can't hear someone else's laugh or feel someone else's laugh, you yourself don't know to laugh. And it is weird, that psychological trick. Your brain hears laughter, thinks, okay, laughter, and then I have to laugh. It's it's weird how yawning and laughing are like the two most contagious yeah. body actions. Well, I think that's why sitcoms had laugh tracks for so long. That's such an unnatural thing. You know they're not filmed in front of a studio audience, but you can't watch Friends without the laugh track. It wouldn't be funny. Well, it... They do film it in front of a, a studio audience. Some of sure them. They, they doctor it up a little bit. Some of them. <laughs> <laughs> like how we just correct each other on the podcast yeah. and try to shit on each other's points. <laughs> it's, good po- it's good pod. It's good podcasting. Speaking of podcasts, you have your own uh, podcast with some uh, other chicks. You want to tell us about that? Uh, <laughs> that was such a good pitch. How am I not going to take that? <laughs> Uh, no, yeah, I have a podcast called Lady to Lady with yeah, two other girl comics, Barbara Gray and Brandy Posey. Very funny. Um, actually stemmed from a live show that we started uh, that we then turned into a podcast. We still have our live show, but we have a podcast as well. Now, what can I expect as a podcast listener, avid podcast listener? What 
what can I expect when I tune in or rather download a Lady to Lady podcast? Well, um, our tagline is Lady to Lady, a talk show by ladies for everyone. So even though it's we always have a girl guest and a guy character, uh, hopefully most of the stuff we talk about is just kind of like, you know, whatever anecdotal stuff is going on, what's going on with our guests. But then we do do segments about, you know, dating issues, um, entertainment things that are going on. And it's also just like really weird and silly. We have a weird character. You played our alpha male. Yes. That was much, that wasn't much of a stretch. To rave reviews. Sure it was. Uh, (laughs) I'm not a beta male. You know that. Uh, Continue pitching your podcast. Uh, But yeah, it's just, you know, I guess a good combination of just, you know, regular conversational stuff and then, we all have sort of a very bizarre sense of humor, so just like weird kind of sketchy things that go throughout. What has there been – what has been the craziest moment so far on the podcast? The craziest moment so far? Yes. Uh, let's see. Well, we had um, – What's the weirdest thing that's happened, most exciting, most wild? <laughs> well, we all guess. took our tops off for money really? last week. No. Oh. <laughs> It's an audio podcast, but <laughs> yeah. still. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. We've had uh, Shannon Hatch, another really funny comedian, came on last week, and she was talking. She had a really sort of like scary situation happen to her with a birth control shot that she got, and so she was telling us sort of what happened there. So that was, I guess, sort of one of the more harrowing episodes. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also had um, <laughs> Dave Child, another comedian, came on and played Russell Crowe in Les Miserables, which I know you loved. Yes. Uh, but he was really funny. And so he came on as as Russell Crowe giving a singing telegram to us and then sang through the whole thing uh, and did a really good job. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. You now, speaking of lady uh, talk shows, Katie Couric, you know, she has her own show. I did not know that. Yeah, Katie Couric. And I was watching it, the doctor's office, because they don't let me change the channel. And uh, the whole show. Good thing you said that, because I was about to call you gay. <laughs> Wow. Well, yeah. You, hey, society. Tired of being called gay. Right? <laughs> I love – who are these – all these homophobes that are also like really invested in what Jodie Foster's up to? Oh, I know. We're going to hold her down. Uh, anyway, I was watching the Kitty Kirk talk show and the entire show was, hey <laughs> – the, the entire show was just about not wearing makeup. She didn't wear makeup. None of the people in the, Ooh, that sounds in awful. the audience wore makeup. And then there was just a whole show about not wearing makeup. Oh, my God. <laughs> That's what I was going to say. This is hilariously not interesting, but I seem to have got your interest. <laughs> Why is that so crazy to not wear makeup if you're a woman? Explain that to me. Because it's horrifying. I mean... Katie Kirk did look like shit. Yeah. Everyone looks like (laughs) shit without makeup. I mean, I don't think guys understand as a girl, you have like your public face and your private face and you look a lot better. I understand. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Sorry. Keep going. (laughs) We'll see how much more private face you're seeing. No. um, (laughs) uh, No giggling on the podcast. Please keep going. Sorry. No, it's, uh, I mean, you, you probably start, most girls start wearing makeup when you're like 14 or 15. That's just what you're used to people looking at. And maybe it's not even that big of a difference, but it is. I mean, you just look a lot prettier with makeup on and you feel like people, I feel like people treat me differently when I don't wear makeup. Do you feel like other girls treat you differently? Um, yeah, everyone treats me differently. So or, other girls treat you worse if you're not wearing makeup. Yeah, in subtle ways. You get, like I get, 
<laughs> Girls always have these theories of, hey, if my hair color's a certain way, yes. I get treated differently. Yes. If I wear, uh, you know, my makeup differently, uh, you know, I get treated differently. Yes. But now, what does that mean exactly? That sounds crazy to me. Uh, well, God, those things are all sort of... I mean, hair color... I've had my hair blonde for a really long time. Um, and when you're blonde, people treat you like, oh, you're fun-loving, you're down for a party, you're just so... People call me sunshine a lot. Like, that's just what people perceive of you when you have blonde hair. When I had red hair, people always thought I was, like, kind of, like... I got more of, like, I'm quirky, I'm interesting, I'm kind of, like, a nerd. Brown hair is, like, you're smart. I got treated... Probably the smartest I've ever been treated is when no, I have brown hair. What do you mean hair. treated smart? They're like, <laughs> you're just walking down the street, they're like, can you solve this? Do you know, hey, yeah. I don't need a tip calculator. I got a brunette with me. People are just throwing calculators at you, uh, asking your opinions on Moliere. I don't know. Um, I guess, it's, hard. it's I guess the intonation people take with you. People are a lot, I guess, flirtier with you when you're blonde. <laughs> and, uh, um... When you're brunette, see, I don't know, I don't, I don't have any experiences with that. Like, I dyed my hair once, and that was I dyed it purple in eighth grade, and everyone just called me queer. So I don't know, I didn't, I didn't really get treated that differently. Besides being called a queer, yeah, exactly. Well, eighth grade is totally different. I, I guess as an adult, I mean, I think people right. are used to teenagers changing their hair and whatnot. But um, yeah, it's. I mean, for example, when I had brown hair, literally, it was a lot harder for me to get a drink at a bar. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Little things like that. Like, you just... (laughs) (laughs) Blondes do have more fun. Yeah. Well, people joke around with you more when you're blonde. Like, bouncers at bars make wisecracks to you. Everyone just feels like, hey, this chick's totally non-threatening. She's... (laughs) (laughs) But a brunette, they're like, watch out. Hold on to your man. She's a cunning bitch. No, no, she's a cunning bitch, but they I don't think they try to pull as much shit with you. Okay. Yeah. So they don't think, oh, hey, she's blonde. She's just got a bubbly personality. Yeah. Down to have fun. Well, and like with the makeup thing, too, it's um, if I'm like flying or something and I have an issue that I need to have resolved or something where I need someone to hook me up or do me a favor, much more likely to happen if I'm wearing makeup. Really? Yeah. Now, even for, I'd see, I don't understand, I understand guys, but I don't understand that from other women. What do you think? Well, women think a lot about appearance, at least as much as guys. They're not attracted to other women, but. But they respect you if you look more attractive? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Story holds up. <laughs> um, what do you have to plug, Tess? What do I have to plug? I have my show, Lady to Lady. We're doing the live version up at Echoes. Very Le- funny show. Thank you. Uh, we're doing the live version up at Echoes Under Sunset here in Hollywood, or Echo Park, rather, uh, this Friday, January 18th at 9 p.m. And then we actually got a UCB Spank Show slot next week, uh, January 23rd. Please come to that. It's going to be really fun. And uh, follow me on Twitter. Okay, last question. You are three females uh, doing a talk show together, spending a lot of time together. Do you get on the same cycle? Then? Not answering that. <laughs> Well, hey, it's it's a physiological <laughs> question. I'm a scientist, all right? I thought I could get away with that because you're a blonde. All right. Thank you, everyone, for listening to the podcast. We do it live here every week on SeanTGreen.com. I will be tonight, Tuesday, or depending on what, maybe you get this late Monday, but Tuesday, if you're in the Los Angeles area, I will be performing at the Holy Fuck CD taping. It's at 9 o'clock. It's at the Downtown Independent. Other than that... You can check me out at SeanTGreen.com. Thank you, everyone, for listening to The Green Room. We do it live here every week.
This has been The Green Room. The Green Room with Sean Green. Keep up the great work. See you later. Download archived episodes at 247comedy.com and follow the show on Twitter at Green Room Show. He should have seen she was really naive. Shit, she was still only 19. And he was many years older. But he seen her walk by in them tight jeans. And he looked at her like, that's my queen. Cause he thought that he could mold her. But it's over. Yeah. No. Larry was a 39 year old dude who was.